Hello everyone and welcome to the first ever episode of Stories of the Stone Circles, a new archaeology podcast all about Britain and Ireland during the time of Stone Circles, where we're going to talk about stone circles and other important archaeology from this period, and we're going to investigate the lives of the people who were alive thousands of years ago. My name is Dr Nick Overton and I'm an archaeologist. I love studying artefacts, sites and monuments to understand more about the people who lived in the past. And if you're listening to this, I bet you're interested in it too. And who can blame you? It's pretty amazing. So in the first episode, we're going to be joined by Dr. Seren Griffiths, Senior Lecturer in Public Archaeology and Archaeological Science at Manchester Metropolitan University. And she's going to be telling us all about a brand new project that she is running. Now, I'm not going to tell you any more about this because that's going to spoil the surprise. But what I can tell you is that this podcast is part of that new project. So over the next few years, you're going to be hearing from Seren and other members of the project, including myself, and you're going to join us as we undertake new research to find out more about the lives of people in the past. So without any further ado, let's get going with our first ever episode of Stories of the Stone Circles. And it's worth saying, due to current COVID restrictions, this has been recorded online. So apologies for any blips in the sound quality as we go. Uh, hi, Saren. How are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm good, thank you. So here we are. We're sitting here recording the first episode of a new podcast. So what's going on about this? Well, this is really exciting because we are starting this quite big international project um, looking at redating, producing loads of new radiocarbon dates and analysing existing radiocarbon dates from Ireland, across Ireland and Britain for 2000 years of what we currently think about as prehistory. And the project's trying to to kind of take the pre out of prehistory. What we're trying to do is create history, create really precise sequences of uh, chronological knowledge from all of the sites um, that have existing radiocarbon dates through reanalyzing them and uh, new dates radiocarbon measurements for really key sites that are going to tell us a huge amount about um, uh, what conventionally is known as the late Neolithic and Chalcolithic and early Bronze Age. So it's very exciting because this is a time when loads of really interesting stuff happens in the archaeological records. We get new types of pottery, we get fancy um, bling goods, so um, uh, wonderful things made out of um jet and amber and exotic imports from far away and magical stone tools made out of beautiful brilliant materials and we get a huge range of exceptional sites so the most famous sites from ireland and britain from their prehistoric well, currently their prehistoric periods date to this part of the um uh, uh, time period so we've got places like Stonehenge which falls into this we've got Newgrange that falls into this we've got a site in North Wales on um, Anglesey where I work with colleagues including Fionn Reynolds and Ben Edwards um, called Brincashley V which is the passage to so there are these exceptional um, sites all as part of this and of course uh, this is where the name of the podcast come from comes from so these this is the time of the stone circles and so what our project aims to do 
um, with collaborators at a whole range of universities and museums and national heritage organizations. We're aiming to create these really precise historical sequences and look beyond the stone circles, look beyond these iconic sites and situate them much more widely into a, a better understood sequence of time, but also picking apart some of the structures with which we think about the past. Mm. Oh, that sounds that sounds amazing. You've kind of already touched on this already, but I was going to say the podcast called Stories of the Stone Circles. But um, is it, it you've you've said it's not just about stone circles. What other what other types of monuments um, are you going to be looking at? Because listeners might be familiar with stone circles. You sort of like mentioned Stonehenge, but what other sort of sites? and gems are there uh, that we might discover in this project? So this is the period where we get the overlap between what's conventionally known as the late Stone Age, the late Neolithic, and what's conventionally known as the earliest Bronze Age, the Chalcolithic. And um, as well as these stone circles that we've talked about, this is the kind of crossover between different uh, types of site, exceptional sites like those passage tombs that I mentioned uh, and other types of monuments though as well as stone circles we get timber circles and embanked enclosures things that we might call henges uh, depending on which part of the world we work in um, and we get the earliest evidence of new types of material called coming in the late neolithic pottery typologies which we might call grooveware and then at the very start of the chalcolithic we get this new phenomenon which um, is often associated with a different type of pottery called beakers and recent work on um, ancient dna sequences and stable isotopes have suggested that this is a period of dramatic change so people moving hitherto unthought of distances across Europe um, and bringing with them new pottery types uh, metallurgy for the first time evidence uh, for long distance trade and exchange and these fancy goods um, and you get lots of beaker barrels that are quite often associated with uh, um, uh, kissed barrels so stone boxes into which people are placed but we also get different types of um, mortuary uh, practice so associated with barrows and uh, things like this so it's a really exciting mm. time period with yeah, this it, overlap it absolutely sounds it and and that sort of leads me into my my next que next question and that is that sort of as an archaeologist the the time period that you mentioned looking at about three and a half thousand to one and a half thousand bc that's a really interesting time period for, for the project to focus on because traditionally our archaeological periods, the Neolithic begins at, at 4000 BC and runs through to around 2500 BC slightly later and then what we call the Bronze Age begins. But your this project is, is kind of straddling these traditional boundaries in dates. Uh, what, what made you sort of pick this particular, uh, this particular time period? Because of that um, intersection between traditional ways of thinking about the past. So what we're interested in doing is as much challenging the ways that we think about the past and especially prehistory and some of the problems with that term and uh, as, as refining the sequence. So I've talked about this in terms of the structure of our 
archaeological knowledge, how chronology and chronological terms force you to think in certain ways about the past and the sequence of our chronological knowledge. So there are all kinds of associations and latent ways of thinking about the past if you talk about the late Neolithic or um, you know, the early Bronze Age. And traditionally, archeologists were forced into using these culture historic ways of thinking about the past where time is um, structured using relative chronolo chronological sequences so that you have assemblages, packages of stuff that is broadly thought about, thought to precede other packages of stuff. And that approach uh, to the past creates these ideas that we get people defined by packages of material culture. And obviously, if you look uh, at the world today, we understand that people aren't are neither biologically nor um, material culturally determined. You know, this is, there isn't, there never was such a thing as a Bronze Age person. There isn't and never was such a thing as a Neolithic person. That's um, archaeologists thinking about the past using these packages of material culture to inform the kinds of narratives that they produce. And that can be quite, uh, that can force you down certain intellectual routes that maybe aren't particularly helpful. And what's even more pertinent to this project, you know, aside from acknowledging those latent ways of thinking about the past and how they structure our interpretations, is that now we have new, well, relatively recent chronological measurement techniques and ways of looking at assemblages of radiocarbon data um, that we can uh, produce much more precise chronologies than we previously could. Um, periods of in quotes, prehistory that were previously defined by um, on a scale of hundreds of years, you know, nothing, we couldn't differentiate between that because our uh, time measurement systems weren't sufficiently sophisticated. And now by statistically analysing assemblages of radiocarbon dates, we can get down to generational decadal precision in our narratives. And this should really make us think about how we think about the past, whether just using these kind of relative culture historic approaches to bunches of stuff and our evidence is appropriate. And so one of the really exciting things about the project is using these statistical analysis techniques, Bayesian statistical analysis and using the program OxCal developed by Christopher Brunk Ramsey um, at Oxford to look at our chronologies in a more um, challenging way to try and work across those traditional culture historic definitions of the past and see whether they actually hold water when we've got these much more precise chronologies. Do these precise chronologies actually suggest that the uh, past was much more dynamic, much more uh, regionally variable, had much more evidence for individual choices and historically particularist traditions and groups of people that we simply haven't been able to identify because our chronologies, our sequences haven't been sufficiently precise. So it's challenging both the sequence of our knowledge or trying to think more precisely about that sequence and then challenging the intellectual structures that archaeologists have used um, to think about the past for about 140 years, really, depending when you date the start of archaeology. I date the start of archaeology to the Ancient Monuments Act, um, introduced in the late 19th century in Britain. Uh, so I reckon it's about 140 years that people have been thinking about the past using these terms, 
And this project is really trying to challenge that. Can we write a history for these times? And I'm not sure that, I don't know that we'll be able to, but we're going to have a damn good try at it. Well, and, and I think uh, it's going to be really exciting to be able to chart that process as we go through, because obviously this podcast is is attached to this project. So as we go through this project and try and write these new narratives and, you know, narratives that are exciting in the way that they no longer talk about people one minute who are Neolithic and the next minute are Bronze Age, but are actually sort of looking at fluid and dynamic changes as you speak about. That sounds really exciting. So hopefully everybody will follow along with us in our monthly podcast and, and see this uh, see this research emerge uh, and hopefully see us be really successful in this. Uh, okay, so I thought uh, if we could maybe talk about you as an archaeologist for a bit, if you uh, if you don't mind. I was wondering like, what what started you off being an archaeologist? What inspired you to do this as a as a profession? Um, oh, my parents uh, took us to a lot of castles when we were kids. Um, we grew up in South Wales, so we spent a long period of time going to um, lots of the Edwardian castles that are in the um, curated by Caddy. And um, but my sort of earliest archaeological um, experience was um, when I was probably about nine. I was standing on um, the bank of Kyrwent Roman Fort, and I was looking across through the uh, typical Welsh mizzle um, and looked uh, around the fort and um, was wondered where the tree cover would extend around the fort you know it, this is meant to be a defensive structure how far could they actually see had they cleared the woodlands around the fort in order to um, reduce the likelihood of being attacked and um, I wanted to know the answer and the information board didn't give me the answer so um, I'm, I wasn't sure that's what all children thought when they were going there <laughs> as well uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, you know um, so so it was that kind of desire to understand and um uh, and figure more stuff out about the past and also this is where my sort of interest in public archaeology and outreach comes in because i think it's behoven to all of us who work in heritage to um uh, uh to make our research findings as open and as accessible as possible and that's also really central to this project. So the public archaeology aspects of this, it's quite interesting trying to juggle that with COVID, um, a COVID context. Mm. Um, but this podcast and the website is all part of that kind of commitment to public archaeology. Great. Yeah. And and so talking about that commitment to public archaeology and getting people to engage uh, in, in archaeology and archaeological knowledge. Um, that brings us nicely to uh, what we hope is going to be a regular feature on this podcast, which we're going to call Unexpected Archaeology. So for every guest, we're going to ask for them to tell us one archaeological fact that they think that members of the public might find to be surprising or unexpected. So this is obviously the first time we've done this, so no pressure on you whatsoever. Um, but Seren, what is your unexpected archaeology fact? Well, I realised that I suggested this might be an interesting um, theme to have in the programme. I haven't actually thought about what my unexpected archaeology fact is. So, but I think that one of the weird things that I was talking to a PhD student about earlier on was why there are always little weird bits of person, human, in 
Iron Age linear ditches. There's always a bit of tooth, a bit of skull fragment, a bit of disarticulated finger, and we don't necessarily know how that bit of person got into that ditch. The science term for that is the taphonomy, the study of uh, the formation of assemblages of dead things. Um, so we don't understand the taphonomy of that. We don't understand how those bits of people get in stitches. But there's a huge number of weird, random bits of people in Iron Age ditches. Mm. And why the heck is that? So my unexpected archaeology, my unexpected fact is something that I don't know the answer to. And I'm sure there are lots of Iron Age um, researchers who will be more than happy to tell me. And I'll have to go away and research it myself, actually. Well, perfect. We, we look forward to hearing from you um, <laughs> because maybe we can come back with an answer to an unexpected archaeology in a future yeah. episode uh, right so now we're getting getting towards we we've talked about the project we've talked about um your your career in archaeology but now we're getting to the serious questions in the podcast uh, and the first is uh, a question that as archaeologists we get quite a lot um so Saren, have you found any treasure yes well, I've been on I've been on sites where proper sort of expensive metals have been uh, found. So I was working in Kent on a road scheme project um, where we got a series of Romano British square burial pits, and they were full of um, high status, luxurious bits of material culture. So lots of cap copper alloy, bronze um, vessels, lots of uh, high status ceramic vessels. Um, there was the uh, burial of a, a, a piglet that had been cut up as a kind of offering um, nice feast for you to take with you on your journey into the afterlife and um, a, a gaming board so kind of draft set with beautiful copper alloy bronze fittings on it so that's kind of real treasure it was an it was a really nice um, uh, thing to see but one of the interesting things about that site is the whole time depth of stuff on it so um, we'd got these Romano-British burials on one end of the uh, site and we'd got a Anglo-Saxon later settlement with sunken featured buildings on the other end of that site. And we'd also got um, bits of unexploded Second World War ordnance that had Fantastic. been accidentally dropped um, as somebody was um, trying to get back to Germany in a bit of a hurry. Um, so, so there was treasure on that site, but it was perhaps not the most interesting thing on the site in terms of the other stuff going on well i mean as the first person to uh, to have that question asked to them of course you you go right to the top of the treasure leaderboard and that would have been the case whether you'd found any treasure or not but um it was lovely that you have found treasure so not that it's competition but obviously we will be ranking everybody um as the months go past um okay so to our to our maybe most important question um, if anybody uh, who's listening has been on an archaeological excavation, they'll know that uh, tea break is, is probably the most important part or important structural part of the day. Um, and no tea break is complete without biscuits. So my question to you is this. What do you think is the most important biscuit for you um, at a tea break? Well, I've given this more th thought than the unexpected archaeology or the treasure, because obviously, as you say, tea break is the most important thing. I'm quite a fan of a custard cream dunked to mm. give you that slight uh, sort of um, melty bit in the middle. Having said that, uh, you know, one of these uh, um, Garibaldi things is quite good as well. But so mm -hmm. those are quite 
extreme on the biscuit spectrum but you know there's a time and place for all biscuits on site of course but both of those are very robust dunkers i i think that's yeah, quite yeah, an important yeah. thing for uh for, for site biscuits nice okay so um i guess to finish this episode um i was wondering if you could maybe sort of tell everybody um uh, what what things they can look forward to in terms of the project um, as this podcast follows the project for the next three and a bit years um, but also and kind of related to that um, if there are people sitting there and listening to this um, and they really want to get involved in archaeology um, and I mean especially at the moment during Covid times what is there that they can do to get themselves involved? So uh, what I'd advise people to do is to find out if their local museum or university is doing a lecture series um, that's being digitally uh, disseminated during lockdown so there are a whole host of different time periods and material culture and site types that speakers might be talking about and we're going to be doing a whole series of these lectures as part of this project in conjunction with local museums and these will be looking at different regions in our study area so concentrations of sites in different parts of Ireland and Britain and so if people want to find out more about um, 3500 to 1500 BC in their particular area they could listen out for these different themed lectures as well as checking out the local museum and university department. Fantastic. Well, that all sounds absolutely uh, wonderful. And coming up at the end of the podcast, uh, we're going to have a little reminder uh, of all of our social media and our website so people can follow us there as well. So I think um, uh, all that's left to do is uh, say thank you very much, Saren, for, for coming on uh, as the first guest of this podcast. Um, and uh, as as a member of the team, I'm, uh, we look forward to uh, hearing from you again in future podcasts. Thank you very much. So there we go, our first episode of Stories of the Stone Circles. If that's whetted your appetite for more archaeology, then make sure you keep an eye out for next month's episode, where we'll be joined by project member and professor of archaeology from the University of Manchester, Julian Thomas. He's going to be giving us a tour of the period, 3,500 to 1,500 BC, to set the scene for different archaeological questions we're going to be exploring in future episodes. So, if you're not sure about the difference between a barrow and a beaker, or a stone axe and a stone circle, this is the episode for you. And until then, you can keep up to date with Project Time by following us on Twitter. That's at Project Time Arc, that's A-R-C-H at the end. Uh, or you can visit our website, project-time.blog, where you can meet the team, have a read about some of the sites that are part of the project, and see our upcoming events, and you can even read our blog. So, until next time, goodbye.